welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. I'm Joel. In this podcast, I'm going to be speaking with Vernis Jones, and we're going to explore the work that Vernis has done this year, well, and the work she does as a coach. Vernis is an executive coach. I think she's been with over 20 years of experience, and so we'll talk about that, and we'll talk about the work Vernis did this year with groups of women uh, that she brought together as her offering in these times of, of the pandemic, but also she'll talk about the explorations they did around race and trauma and the powerful healing and integration that was able to take place as these, as these women were met in this space and were able to share. We'll also talk about her work as a developmental coach and the different ways that Vernis works with her clients, depending on where they might be locating developmentally. And we'll talk about awareness of awareness and why that's such a key practice that can support the work we do as coaches. So just a few more words about Vernis. Vernis, as I said, she's been an executive coach with over 20 years of experience and she's known for creating engaging transformational leadership programs. She's a mentor coach with Cultivating Leadership, Jennifer Garby Berger's organization, and she's worked with organizations such as the Chicago Tribune, Newsday, Georgetown University. So that's a few things about Vernis and as usual, I'd really appreciate it if you would share this podcast. If you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop, head to coachesrising.com, scroll down, you'll find a sign-up box there. All right, so here is the podcast with Vernis Jones. Before we get into today's podcast, I have an invitation for you. We're about to kick off the ninth edition of our longest-running program, The Power of Embodied Transformation. This is a program I'm really proud about because it shows you how to tap into the intelligence of change itself. One of the most profound discoveries of neuroscience is that intelligence isn't just in the domain of the mind. In fact, so much of the deep wisdom we need in order to evoke transformation actually lives in the body. And yet, so many of the people you'll encounter in your coaching have actually been trained away from accessing the wisdom of the body. So this program will reconnect you to this embodied intelligence so you can create deep, lasting change with your clients. We're honored to have a truly world-class faculty for this program. You'll learn from the founder of Somatic Coaching, Richard Strozzi Heckler, alongside contemporary coaches who've integrated this powerful approach with new discoveries in neuroscience, trauma work, and leadership development. It's going to be an amazing transformational journey, so I hope you'll come and join us. You can head to coachesrising.com forward slash power of embodied transformation to buck your spot. The first class is on the 6th of June with Richard and if you sign up by May the 22nd you can get the early bird discount. So just head to coachesrising.com forward slash power of embodied transformation to buck your spot. Great to be with you today, Vernis. I know you've uh, come into this call and you, you, there's a lot, as, a, as we all have at the moment, like there's a lot going on and I'm sure we're going to enter into, I think you mentioned Kairos time. Was that you that mentioned it? Or somebody did to me. No, that's somebody else. And um, anyway, I'm sure we'll enter into a, 
uh, uh, creative vortex in this next 45 minutes. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Um, yeah. So my name is Vernice Jones. Um, I work for Georgetown University and their Institute for Transformational Leadership. Um, they have an executive coaching program there and I'm on faculty um, teaching adult development and also um, direct cohorts. Um, I also am part of the Cultivating Leadership Collective. So mm. you, you're familiar with Jennifer Garvey Berger. I know you've had some beautiful conversations with her in the past. And I have a um, pretty robust coaching practice, um, particularly in these times. Mm. Uh, so I am keeping busy. Yeah. I I, it's interesting because I thought when the lockdown started, I thought like, okay, that's going to really impact uh, the amount of coaching people want. You know, they'll pull back, they'll cut back on it. I found the opposite myself more than ever people reaching out. I don't know how you find that. Yeah. Um, well, when the pandemic started, um, I, so I have a lot of uh, female leader clients and one of the things that like everyone else, I was sort of drawn to do something I wanted to do something because I was just noticing that a lot of people, in addition to now having their job to do, now they were homeschooling and there was elder care and they didn't have the time down that they got driving to work and coming back from work. So people were just fried, um, working all the time, keeping up with everyone else. Work was changing. The way you delivered your work changed. The work itself was changing and people were just fried. Um, employees were starting to break down a little bit, like just they would just say, I'm done for the day. I'm not working anymore. Um, and so I started these uh, women's leader circles um, in response to that mm -hmm. and just really said, um, I, I just, I'm not charging anything, but I just, I'm wanting to support um, women in particular, because there was something I was noticing in that community. Um, and even on my LinkedIn, you know, I said, DM me if you're interested, because frankly, I was afraid that nobody would be interested and I didn't want to be embarrassed <laughs> so I said just DM me um, and in the end over 30 women um, said that they were very interested and so um, cr I created um, some very small groups of like eight to ten um, just to give folks the intimacy that um, I was sensing was needed in the moment mm. And it was a beautiful experience. And so um, after that series, there were some uh, women leaders who were like, oh, no, we're not finished. <laughs> we must continue. Tell us how this can be so. So that's um, continued for not all of the circles, but some. And it really has been. In fact, I had today's Monday, I had um, a group yesterday, a beautiful conversation. Um, and we have a couple MDs on the call who really talked about um, what the spike in cases is meaning for them and their practice and just um, their colleagues. It's really, it's been a, a rich experience. Um, so that's one thing that's come up for me. Um, and with the the U.S. political situation and uh, 
leaders that um, work with me that are sort of politically adjacent, that work has also really um, heated up a bit. So I've been full. I've been really, really full. What, what with this women's work, the, the groups of women you brought together, have you noticed like there's been something particular that's been needed in those spaces or that, that you've all been invited into a particular kind of journey? Or is it, is it very unique for each person? Yeah, I mean, of course, it's unique yeah. for each person. Um, I mean, one of the things I was noticing is that um, those women were not doing a good job of taking a step away and having their time, mm. just taking care of everyone else and sacrificing themselves over and over and over. Um, and so even in the circle, there was sort of a tendency to say, um, okay, what can what can we do together? And less like, how can we take care of ourselves? Like, what do we need in the moment to just take a breath and support our own well-being? But the thing that I think was most um, interesting from those groups, because um, what I was wanting to do was sort of get under the hood and create capacity around awareness, um, create capacity when even noticing your own saturation. Um, and so one of the groups by request was an African-American women's leader group. Um, and this was a group that um, met right after George Floyd was murdered. Mm. But what was so interesting in the U.S., but what was so interesting about that is because we had been spending the time building capacity around awareness and noticing and responding to what was present in our community of eight to 10. Uh, the group really had like the skills and the tools to sit with even how they were making meaning of the moment and how they could hold each other. Um, so this was true across the groups and has been super helpful um, in my work, even in the leading inclusively lab around holding spaces. Um, so I've, so that has been adapted in the women's leader circle and adapted again, but this whole idea of holding what is present in us and how can we hold all of us in this moment mm. um, to, you know, to the support of whatever we're, wherever we're being, where we're going. I'd love to, if you could say a bit more about that, because I think that's, um, in a way, it's incredible that it happened at that time, yeah, so mm. that you could see what was happening for that group of women who were, had already built that capacity. And I'm just wondering um, what happened for, for those, for you and for those women as that experience with George Floyd came up and how you were able to make meaning with it. I, I just, because I want to say, like, it seemed like, there was a, you know, of course, it just kicked up so much, and um, I wonder if, if we have, if we've had that capacity collectively to take perspective in a certain way, yes, we might be able to create more inclusivity. Then, um, you know, understandably, there's also a lot of anger and hurt, and people um, creating foes, you know, and and excluding people taking place. So does, I don't know if that makes sense what I'm saying. No, it totally makes sense. Um, and that's, I think that is 
one of my strengths as a coach and as a facilitator, really taking these principles and like bringing them into the practice, into our practice together. Um, so I was thinking the last conversation I was telling you, I'm highly, I would say relational. And so I really bring relationships into the work that I do. But what I would say is, um, when we had these conversations um, right after George Floyd um, in the, uh, I'm going to say African-American, the Black women leaders group um, circle, there was just tears, tears and like it was a holding of trauma. Just there was people were incredulous and because we had spent so much time just being with, it was completely acceptable to just hold this together and um, articulate what we were experiencing because that was, an, that was a practice that we'd been working with. So that was one thing. Another thing is for the groups that were diverse, um, some people did sort of experience the same kind of thing in the group. And some people were like, you know, don't, don't be mad, Vernus, but here's, I mean, I'm just feeling this way, which was a very different point of view. And what was so interesting about that exchange was I could just be with the, and what's it like to experience that? What's it like to hold this in the group? And what's when it you like say hold to- this? You mean the the um, the sadness, the tears, or you mean? Oh yeah. So someone, that- yeah. So people might talk about um, the um, you know protests, but instead of using like protests, they might say riots. So, you know, people rioting, it's wrong. And I don't believe that, you know, we should single out black people because don't all lives matter? Like all these things that are real trigger points um, for marginalized communities, but particularly the black community in the US, right? Um, And so it could easily, so that's, I mean, that is, I mean, over 70 million people voted for Trump. So it's not just one person feeling that way. And I could sit there and be angry or we could sit and be divided as a circle of women. And how do we hold this together? So that's, I mean, to me, this is really the point. So as a group, great. Now we're surfacing what's really here. We're surfacing what is truly part of us. And so how do we want to hold this as a group? So let's like surface what's going on. What's it like to feel that way in this group? Even as you speak to me, what's that like to feel this way? Yeah. And so for the group, like, what are you now noticing as we're really starting to articulate what's present here? We debrief that. I'm even starting to speak about like what it's like for me to be here in this group and facilitate this in this moment. Yeah. And then folks are even saying, oh, my gosh, Vernus, that was so interesting to see you meet this person like that. Because this is actually a person that's a good friend of mine. I've actually called her my sister before. She's not a woman of color, but I've been very close to her before. And so I really had a place of love to come from. Um, with her. And I've had other experiences like that, but that was a place that we could really grow in community together. And that was a real um, turning point for that particular circle. And I think can be a turning point for others as well, if you can hold what's in the group. Yeah. That kind of collective presencing where people 
feel safe enough to share their views, even if um, you know those views are uh, less enlightened or I don't know. I don't want to make too much of a judgment. I don't know how much about what this person said, but like the people just feel safe enough to share who they are in a way that we can then all meet one another and be transformed together and become larger together, um, which is just seems like it's so there's so little of that or not enough of that going on in the in the wider world you know where things are getting more and more polarized that i'm really glad i asked you about that because um you know that's a that's an example of like perhaps the work we need to be doing on a larger scale in the world right now is how can we build spaces where people can come together and not immediately kind of um judge and reject another person but be in a in a transformative connection that mm, mm. requires a kind of broader uh being being more uh more than we are in some sense you know to allow that discomfort that tension in mm, mm, mm. yeah yeah and that's not to say you know there's no there is not a time for changing behavior or um supporting the shift of a system a particular system uh, i'd love to just know uh, one of the things i'm super fascinated with is the what's the like the the transformational map you hold with the work you do like and I'm, I realize like there are probably a few you know that that go together and um, I ask that from this place of like I know I hold one and it's kind of like or usually in the background and it's a working hypothesis that I have that feels definitely very aligned and and truthful and gets refined over time and I just wonder for you, if there's like, you know, a sense of this journey you see us making as human beings and that you particularly, uh, you do with your coaching. So yeah, I'll see yeah. where you take it with that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, because I teach adult development and I'm part of this cultivating leadership that um, supports leaders through complexity. Um, I'm there because adult development is something that I resonate with. Um, but I'm also a big believer in um, um, meeting people where they are and using language and experiences that feel true to that individual. And so, for example, I'm just thinking of my um, coaching clients, like some of my folks are really um, operational, rational. And so I would use a whole different set of tools than someone who's more clued into awareness. Um, but I do sort of think about, you know, where is the growth edge of this individual in this context? Yeah. Um, and so I sort of work from there. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And could you say uh, what you mean by that kind of concrete operational as opposed to awareness? Because I think I think that's a really important distinction for people listening. Yeah. Um, so, for example, some people um, are, um, you know, they, they're the way they make sense of the world is through this um, logical reasoning first and foremost. Um, and that's really like the rules. That is the rules of how they make meaning, which is completely cool, wonderful, fabulous. Um, and so like the immunity map 
is a good tool for that kind of person, which kind of helps people see um, what is just beyond, that was just beyond their point of view, um, helps uncover assumptions that they had, um, helps uncover sort of things that they made equal, they didn't realize, things like that. Um, uh, and then some people are um, more sort of, um, include into their awareness, I'll say. So that's what I was saying in our last conversation about you, that if my sense is that's something that's very important to you and the way you make sense of the world. Um, and so um, that would also be a place. So for some people, um, like the somatic work that I do with them, even some awareness work is really important, I know, to the way they make sense in the world, but even more important than that, um, an important part of unlocking where they feel trapped. So now I'm referencing Jennifer Garvey Berger's book, Mind Traps, mm -hmm. but I'm also using sort of the somatic awareness piece um, because sometimes you do, there is a, um, a deeper knowing within yourself that you don't have access just through your rational mind and just sort of um, sinking, stepping into your body and your deeper awareness, you all of a sudden can unlock something in 60 seconds that you just did not have access to before. And then, you know, then you're, then you, you know, your mind can come into play. You use both, use your awareness, your, you know, your somatic experience and your, um, and your mind. Mm, yeah. Beautiful. Thanks. And I, yeah, I think that's, you got me pretty good when you said that in our inside coaching session where, uh, I definitely love exploring like what, you know, definitely people on this podcast now are probably like rolling their eyes a bit when I start to talk about the necessity in these times, at least what I feel that I feel uh, for us to grow beyond um, purely logic and reasoning and, um, and access like the, for example, that inner kind of felt sense of knowing or even, you know, uh, even beyond that, um, mm. as being important faculties in these times. And I'm, I'm even holding this question now of like, is it even developmental in a traditional sense of, um, you know, these maps like Hegan's maps and so on that, because um, I mean, I'm in a question of like, do we have enough time? You know, that, that map might say we need a certain amount of people who um, reach a certain level of complexity and then they can, you know, they can adequately respond in a leadership style or wise to these big, complex challenges we face. And I don't know if we've got time for that, you know, like knowing mm. how long it takes for people to develop, develop there. So I'm kind of like in an inquiry of like, yeah, do, is there a, other vectors or like other means for us to access those realms, those intelligences? I don't know what this brings up for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, one thing that's coming up for me is just when there's a mismatch and the, you know, the demand of your context, the developmental demand of your context is just beyond what you have in the moment. Um, so that's a place where developmental coaching, developmental um, support can really be useful. Um, but there are all kinds of places that um, 
people need support. And so part of the challenges with just sort of looking at this model, whatever this model is, including this Keegan's adult development model and saying, this is the thing, um, is that you're, you miss a lot of the subtlety. So even, um, you know, one of the things I think is so interesting when um, people look at, um, you know, is this person self-authored or not? So that's a question. Um, and someone might say, well, this person cares so much about, I don't know, like um, being the only woman in the board or being the only woman in the you know, groups and maybe they have a, they're, I'm just thinking of a particular person. They're the only Pakistani, you know, in a Pakistani environment, they're only the only woman. And so there's a whole history they have around like, you know, trying to prove as a woman or African-American, like talking about race a lot. And people are thinking, well, you care more about how the world sees you than like what is your internal experience and seeing yourself as a human being that to me is more evolved. So that's sort of the thinking. Um, and I just really wonder about that because that misses the whole, you know, the structure of the environment that people are brought in like structural racism, the patriarchy. And does that really mean someone's not evolved or are they, are they speaking to the experience of the moment and they might actually be evolved, but they're just, they're just articulating what the experience is of their environment. So that's a small example. Trauma is another example. Trauma shows up in all kinds of places and that can be, get mistaken for not being evolved when in fact trauma is just showing up and trauma pops her head up all the time. Yeah. 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 And, and that person might actually be, the opposite they might be really sensitive to the system that they're in you know and right. yeah, perhaps the way they articulate it might be different but you know they might be attuned to like that systemic system and the impact you know and they're voicing something very important so yeah i i um i like that way of thinking about things in a way that means it's much more fluid uh you know like context dependent even um yeah like Kurt Fisher's um, dynamic skill theory points to kind of more of that mode of this developmental work, which I find is quite liberating. Um, and, and like you said, like I'm highly re relational and I like that because um, what well, I wonder for you, because it, it, I, I hear that you're, yeah, you've got these maps and models, but then there's the reality of the person. There's the nuance and the, uh, the miracle of the other person in front of you. And um, it caught my attention when you said that, when you said you're highly relational, because I, 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 I imagine you've got some, some skills in that department. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah. So I do, um, I do um, when I'm working, particularly in the transformational space, there's a lot of vulnerability, right? I mean, even in this time, there's so much vulnerability in the space. And one of the things that's coming up time and time again um, is, gosh, this person or this group or this cohort reacted so strongly, or this is so, this environment is so crazy, right? I just, I don't know why this person, this environment, this group is responding in this way. I'm just baffled. And I have to say, okay, let's just go back 
we're in a pandemic. People have been in isolation for six, seven months, particularly in the U.S. context. They've been all of these racial, heightened racial tensions, this U.S. election and all the polarization around that. Um, and the question about the, you know, the election results, all of that is being wrapped up in the moment. And people have their own lives. They have their own traumas. They have their own challenges that they're dealing with. And it's all together. So, yeah, anything that was just beneath the surface, if it comes to the surface, it's not going to be pretty. It's not. And it's not about the thing that you were just looking at in the moment. It's about all of it together. And so just know what you're know what you're seeing and know what you're holding. How, how do you begin to sort of attune to that or surface that? Yeah. As it's needed. And I guess the question to that is like, knowing what's relevant and not, you know, because yeah. there's, there's a whole rabbit hole we could go down and it could be beautiful work, but it might be like not exactly what the client's asking from us in the moment. So That's right. Yeah. Like, how do you attune to all that, that information in a way and bring it into the conversation in a way that it's relevant? Yeah. It's a big question. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. So this is, um, this is what I was getting to, like there's a safe space, there's a brave space that people go into when they sense into their own transformation, like being able to consider points of view or beliefs, behaviors that they hadn't um, been willing to stay open to before. And so for me, because I'm so relational, some people will feel comfortable to lean into the relationship so that they can be vulnerable. Right. And that actually works for a lot of people. They feel very comfortable leaning into that. For some people, they want to, they can lean into their space. So for example, um, you know, um, if you are, um, I'm just thinking about um, if you have a, I'm trying to not um, give any too much detail, but like, for example, if you have a background um, where maybe it's more creative, but now you have a very sort of technical, like lawyer, doctor job, but you're, you have a background in something that's very creative, I might be able to reach you through accessing that creative space. So for example, if you are a musician um, and you are quite an advanced musician, there is a place of bliss and sort of moving from moment to moment, moment um, and really accessing what is what it just is true for you and in relationship to your audience. And I can speak to that and connect with awareness for the client. Mm. Um, and so for you, if that, you know, if that makes sense, let's go there. That might be a place of safety. Let's mm. talk about your, you know, a place that is creative space. That's a brave space for you. For other people, it's leaning into our relationship. For other people, it's sort of that place where you, um, where you feel comfortable. It's more aspirational. Um, for some people, it's like doing the hard work, feeling like I made progress. And so it may be like sort of retracing steps of progress. Mm. It really, it does. It, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. But I like, I like how you're naming those different, um, you know, sensing different people and then the different doorways into, and, and I'm getting the sense of like, it's a doorway into a kind of authenticity or, a, or a um, certain kind of connection in the coaching, which is then, 
has a kind of potency to it, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm imagining when you, you, you describe these different doorways, it's like, you know, you're like the musician and the bliss and the, and the awareness that you'll, you know, you'll feel it when you like lock into something mm-hmm. and then it's like, ah, right, cool. We're here. And yeah. Something different becomes possible. Yeah. Yeah. So let me give you a couple of different paths because I feel like I'm not being clear. So for some people, you know, you have a 360, um, maybe you do like a growth edge interview and you get a sense of how they make meaning as an individual, but also how people see them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, you know, lots of pieces of advice of what they ought to do differently. And now there's my understanding for how they work. Um, maybe we look at um, the stakeholders that matter to them in their work and um, how they uniquely add value to the different stakeholders. So that's one conversation that we might have. Maybe they're particular players. Um, maybe there's work around their own purpose or what blocks them. For another person, so now I'll speak up to trauma because I know that's an, that's an interest of yours. Um, for a senior leader with trauma, um, somatics can be really helpful. Somatics and awareness can be really helpful. So I'm just now um, thinking of a few people who don't necessarily have, I mean, I'm not a therapist, so they also have a therapist. But when someone has experienced trauma, there's always trauma in the immediacy of now. So I do address the, I do have to work with the trauma too, not overtly. Um, but when I speak to Um, the client, sometimes there's a tendency to start spinning and talking about all the things. So I will say, okay, um, let's take a breath together, like suspend your mind. Let's take a breath. Maybe even we need to do a body scan and bring your mind back into your body and then take a deep breath. Okay, where are we now? And then the conversation goes in a very different direction. So I often say to clients, you saw me say this in the coaches, the coaching demonstration, mm-hmm. like stay with me. Mm-hmm. And this is the relational piece because mm-hmm. when, if a client can stay with me, then they feel the stability in that relationship and they can, there's a little bit more freedom to be vulnerable and go places where there's the opportunity for a transformation, but also the opportunity to have the courage to sort of see themselves in new ways, mm-hmm. which is the beginning. Like that noticing is golden. That's the beginning mm-hmm. of something special. Right. Um, yeah. And so then the somatic work that follows um, is like, so that's another path that also brings in the, ra- you know, the rational operational. Um, but then it's just, I use the somatic awareness a little differently with different people. Mm. Yeah. And I, I, um, I just, what I appreciate about what you're naming is again, just like as coaches that we can train that capacity to, to be skillful and know, and like you said, like really read our clients and kind of speak to them. And then through that kind of go into that doorway where, where a shift is possible, whether Mm. that's through the, you know, the rational or through the the soma or, you know, through their, their kind of creativity and bliss. And then, you know, that I'm, I'm appreciating that because that's something I'm always tracking in clients. It's like, Mm. You can feel it, can't you? When, when you drop, you know, like when you when you hit that place where when you name what wasn't named, or you, they touch something that that's alive inside of them, mm-hmm. or they see something that was mm-hmm. not unseen, mm-hmm. and then, 
um, boom, something, something begins to shift. Yeah. I think that's a kind of like meta competency for coaches to, to, to recognize that and be skillful in that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the other thing that you're just bringing up for me is um, something that's really important in the work that I do. And that is um, ensuring that clients and um, groups feel seen seen by me and seen by each other. So that's why in our conversation together, I mentioned that Coaches Rising panel, where I talked about suspending your mind, and then taking a breath and bringing the mind back in your heart. And I remembered when that made an impression on you. Um, Because noticing is such an important way of my relational experience with others. And I need people to know that I see you because that is something so you know as an african-american um woman you know that is something that has been so important to me and has not always been the case there are all kinds of stereotypes and assumptions that people make about me and that's true of me but that's true of us all and particularly when you have not felt seen or you don't often feel seen, to have this safe or brave space where you feel fully seen for this hour repeatedly, there's nothing like it. Or Mm. if there's a group of people who are fully committed to this two hours that we spend together regularly, and part of what we are committed to do together is fully seeing each other and being with each other wherever we are, having a bad day, having a good day, you know, having a tough day in the U.S. because of all the things that are happening. We're here. We're here. Mm. Um, And so that's an important. So me articulating what I'm experiencing of the client that they often don't even know that, that, you know, that was there for them um, is a huge way that I connect, um, create healing and also create the foundation for growth. Mm. Just, when you said that to me in the call the other day, like, you know, I see this about you, Joel, and you named it. And um, yeah, I can feel what that did to me. You know, it's like, it's like something softens in me. I I feel touched. And, um, you know, there is a kind of sense of, even in that moment, like of perhaps of a healing or a, like a landing inside of oneself where it's like, ah, yeah, that's who I am. You know, I've been seen. And so I, I really appreciate you emphasizing this aspect of the, the, the work that we do as coaches, you know, that it's like we were formed in relationship growing up. And then one of the potent things about coaching is we're seen in relationship. And yeah. You're like and really it's, seeing people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's, um, you know, threatening for some. So it's not for everyone. (laughs) Doing that kind of deep seeing, it's not for everyone. It can be a little threatening. And for some people, incredibly healing. And um, I love what you said about, um, you know, this being a place that, you know, you can go back to. um, Because, I mean, even as children, even as a child with your mother, you know, you had this place where there was this incredible, unspoken, totally vulnerable connection that you had for most of us. Um, And you may forget, I'm saying forget, you may forget it. But that sort of awareness sense is always there. So it's not like you build it from scratch. It's just sort of a remembering 
Um, And I, I just, that's the, it's cultivating what's already there within you. Mm. Um, So that you can be the leader that, you know, is possible. There's your best leader. People love when they're, you know, working with someone who's authentic and know, you know, know what they want. I, I think this is actually really like, well, even the people that don't like being seen, Mm. that if that can be okay you know that can be powerful too where it's like it's like um of course some people we might decide not to kind of emphasize that aspect of the work but with others if it's like oh i see you in this moment and then they're like you can see there's discomfort then it could be like oh and perhaps what, what's here for you now you know that's a question i heard you ask in the coaching demo mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. If, they, if they're able to name that discomfort and then that's okay. You know, it's like, you don't have to be different. I see you in that. Mm-hmm. That can be healing too. Totally, totally. And I'm just thinking of um, some folks in my um, practice now who um, out in the world, they do not want to be seen. There's a big sort of protective um, wall between them and the world. They're just very buttoned up. I don't want to say protective wall, very buttoned up. And one of the things I really appreciate about their time with me is that it is a space where they can relax and fully be seen and do, you know, and do the work that follows. And um, I think what's interesting about this, I see what you think is that a lot of the time we're doing developmental work because we, um, we feel wounded or we feel we're not okay. We're not worthy. There's a sense of lack. And then we're trying to develop in order to compensate for that. And, or, or we just, we just became enamored by the idea of development and growth, you know, and we're pushing forward, but actually I wonder what you think about for me, the, there's a potency in, in like, just seeing people and then they actually begin to develop anyway you know it's like the the seeing was what was needed it's like the the seeing them in their unworthiness or where they felt that sense of lack or vulnerability or shame was the actual integrating factor that unleashed their development not the other way around Hmm. yeah i'm i'm just thinking of um so um, James Finley, James Finley is a um, priest who was in the seminary and was sort of a mentee of Thomas Merton. And um, yeah. James Finley once famously asked Thomas Merton, like, what I'm saying is the equivalent of what stage do you think I'm in? And Thomas Merton said, it's none of your damn business what stage <laughs> you're in. <laughs> and I just love that so much um, because we do, we get caught up in stages and that actually works against our, you know, our opening. Um, and there is something in the right context. There is something beautiful about knowing that you're in a transition. You're not going crazy. Mm. like development here is like this awareness or this noticing that you're like beginning to really play around with here's how it plays in changing behavior in the end like this thing that you're just noticing the moment but you can't make a behavior change like that's part of a that's part of like a bigger drama that's being played out like this is the hard part is not going from unskilled to skilled the hard part is like going from not noticing that anything was going on till to in the moment noticing that I'm doing something that I don't want to do. Like this is a decision point that I have. Mm. 
and still not being able to do anything about it. Right. That's a huge step. And that's a, like, that's a developmental journey. And that's very helpful to know, like, yeah. or to know, okay, going from not being able to do anything about it in the moment to noticing in the moment and being able to do something a little different, but doing a rotten job <laughs> and feeling horrible and having like, you know, a somatic fallout where your body and your awareness is like on full display and just causing all kinds of ruckus. <laughs> it feels terrible. That is part of a developmental journey. It's beautiful. It's raw. And that's important to know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like you can create a kind of um, normalcy to that, that. That again, I think is like, oh, you know, you relax a little bit, and even you know, knowing about these developmental maps, it's also like, oh, yeah. So, so this is the territory that could be emerging for me, and there, there is a growth, there is a, there is this kind of path into a larger self, perhaps, or more complexity in my meaning making, and. Um, Hey, I just want to, I want to ask, because I know we haven't got long left and uh, you just mentioned Thomas Merton, who's awesome. And you mentioned in our last call about Christianity and Buddhism uh, influencing you. And I, I just like wonder if you could say, even related to like, I love asking coaches, like what practices, practices are you involved in that have an impact on the coaching you do? And um, I mean, we could speak for a whole hour about Christianity, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. let's just like spend five minutes and see where we go. Okay. On that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, question in there, but I'll just see where you take it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say I'm an expert at all um, or as deep in my practice as I would like to be, but here's what I would say. Um, you know, I was brought up as Christian and I've been working with a particular teacher who is um um, he uh, worked with Swami Muktananda for a long time um, and so practices Dzogchen Buddhism, which is all about mm. being aware of awareness. Um, and so this sort of aware of awareness and this sense of um, what you evoke in yourself, from yourself, um, like getting out of the way and noticing what is um, freeing up inside yourself. I'm trying to use language that is, um, um, you know, easily relatable, but um, that is, a, has had a huge impact. I mean, even knowing that, um, like this, my, this, uh, so his name is Dr. Rudy Bauer. And one of the things he always says is two awarenesses are better than one. And so even this idea of us holding awareness together, and I don't say this directly with the, I don't know if I've ever said this to a client, but just knowing that we are together in awareness, I'll say, stay with me in this moment. Like, so stay with me because people, will, especially when they get into their story, they'll kind of look around. Um, there is a healing in being in awareness together that you can't possibly have on your own. So that's healing, that's restorative, but it's also developmental. Mm. Can you say more about how, yeah, that part? Yeah. So, um, so for example, one of the things, um, I know I have to keep this short, but, but it's, so in the Leading Inclusively Lab, for mm. example, um, we do a growth edge interview prior to, 
Um, and I shouldn't call a growth edge interview because I've adapted it slightly to talk about intercultural experiences with similar prompts. But as we go through, there's a lot, a lot, especially this summer, right? A lot of shame, a lot of disdain, um, a lot of brokenness in this space of intercultural relations, I'll say particularly in the US, but not limited to the US for sure. Because um, we had a lot of sort of global students. And one of the things when we got to this part of the interview where people would find themselves, you know, we're at the, their meaning making, they're talking about the shame, they're talking about not being seen. And we would try to go deeper to see what's beneath it. Like, is there any liberation there? Like, where is the ease in that space? Mm. Like, you can't see that when you're stuck. But if I say, great, so here, just suspend your mind. Let's take a breath. 15 seconds, bring your mind back into your body, maybe into your heart. And now, like, where's the liberation there? Where's the ease there? 100% of the time, now people have a place to go because now you're accessing a deeper part of your knowing. Mm. And that is, I mean, that came right from my, that practice, that came right from my teachings from um, that world, the awareness of awareness um, and the knowing in your mind versus knowing in your awareness or your being. I, I wish I'd asked you this question earlier because this is a real passion of mine, mm -hmm. this kind of territory that you're really beautifully articulating, actually. And because um, you said, like, oh, I'm not an expert in this, but um, or as, as much of an expert as I'd like to be. And yeah, we can always grow. I'm not I, an I expert. Just, yeah. <laughs> I just have an interest. I have an interest. Yeah. And um, I would say I have a um, I have a gift in using these principles in a coaching or facilitating practice. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I think for me, this is one of the leading edges of coaching, you know? Yes. Like how can we bring in the liberating nature of recognizing or becoming aware of awareness? I totally and agree. It has a kind of transmuting effect. Um, and, you know, even like Buddhist Tantra as well. Mm -hmm, so just mm -hmm. dropping into the kind of energetic frequency of, yep. of a certain mind state you know, um, and, and which is often reified and stuck and how, you know, dropping out of that can actually begin to loosen it up and liberate and you can find the liberation in it. You know, That's so again, right. there's a kind of meta competency that That's right. in this complex world, polarized world, it's like, I think that's the, the mirror of all of that is we're being invited into this deep integrative shadow work, which you, which you kind of talked about at the start with these, with these yeah. groups, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah, are we yeah. allowing what's there to be there instead of resisting and holding against. Yeah. And then yeah. once it's allowed to be there, the discomfort, when we can feel the discomfort, then it's, then it begins to flow and liberate and transform and, and insights come out of that. I think. Um, and it's totally yeah. practical. So let's even take right. it a meeting. You know, you could be sitting in a meeting and feel really uncomfortable. Something is happening. You're in the hot seat, whatever the case may be. Um, and you look around. So now you're looking into the Zoom windows. You're looking around at the Zoom windows and there's someone who you can connect with. Right, whose energy that I'm going to say, their energy you can't that does you can connect with it, gives you comfort, it feels stable for you in the moment, and so you can like connect with that 
And that sort of gives you, I'm going to say mobility of awareness, but it gives you the stability to now like be in a deeper frequency. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, we, I guess we have to leave it like a delicious meal where, you know, you, you kind of, uh, nouveau cuisine, you get, you don't get full from it. Oh. Um, I have to go down and grab my, take my daughter off my, uh, my partner who's about to jump into a session Okay. Um, where can we find out more about your work, Venice? Yes. So you could go to um, cultivatingleadership.com um, where I and many colleagues are um, listed and you can see the work we do. You could also find me on the leadershipcompass.org where you could sort of see a little bit of the work that I am doing out in the world. Um, and you can always reach me at Vernis at um, the leadershipcompass.org. Great. Yes. Thank Thanks. you for having me. This has been a real pleasure. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thanks, Vernice. Yeah, you're so welcome. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. And a reminder that the early bird enrollment is now open for our upcoming live training, The Power of Embodied Transformation. This program will teach you how to connect to the deep wisdom that lives in the body so you can create lasting change with your clients. Head to coachesrising.com forward slash power of embodied transformation to book your spot. And remember, you can get the early bird discount if you join by the 22nd of May. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a, a heads up again. If you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time.